Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Make it kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make it kind. Get woke. God bless you. Good morning. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, MIP is COVID free. Free meaning you don't need a subscription to hear MIP every day now for a limited time. While we endure this pandemic, we want to make it available to everyone. So wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, MIP is COVID free and available to you and everyone without a subscription. Folks, we're happy now to be joined by the executive vice president for of government affairs, I should say, of one of our uh, leading civil rights uh, legacy organizations, as a matter of fact, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Their executive vice president, of course, is LaShawn Warren. LaShawn, how are you? And how are you and your loved ones faring in this pandemic? We're surviving, and thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been tough. This this entire year has been tough. Um, it feels like we're moving from one crisis to the to the other. Um, but you know, we're we're managing. We're we're doing the best that we can given the circumstances. And uh, you know, I really feel for so many families that are really hurting, hurting and struggling at this moment, um, and have not been able to get the kind of relief from the federal government that they need at this moment. One moving from one crisis to another includes uh, the Amy Coney Barrett hearings, doesn't it? Yes, it does. You know, as probably many of your your listeners know, that the um, Supreme Court 
um, has a vacancy right now. Amy Coney Barrett has been nominated by President Trump and the confirmation hearings happened this week with Senator Graham. Um, it's an illegitimate process. It took them 16 days to you know, move this nominee forward and it's timed in such a way such that this particular nominee who's hostile to the Affordable Care Act would be on the bench before that argument is heard in, in November, like a week after the election. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, not taking the Senate, that is, not taking into consideration this very crisis of the pandemic, right, LaShawn? I mean, pushing her through to stop the Affordable Care Act uh, and, among other things, we'll get into that she's a threat to. I mean, that's a greater priority to Senate Republicans than helping those who are still struggling in this pandemic. Yes, I mean, it's deeply problematic that the priorities of this particular administration and this Senate, um, the priorities that they have are skewed and certainly are not necessarily pulled together or uh, are um, listed to help people who are in most need of assistance at this moment. Like we have so many things that are going on um, from the COVID crisis and there being an increased infections. There are over 215 people who have died from COVID. Um, and this is not providing relief to the states and to individuals has not been a priority. You also have justice and policing. Um, there's also the John Lewis voter um, Advancement Act that has not gotten the attention that it needs on the floor. They have gone into McConnell's graveyard and it's just simply not a priority for them. And if anything is demonstrative of the way that this particular Senate, um, the Republicans, that is, the way that they are seeing this particular crisis and what's at stake, particularly with this particular nominee, they scheduled a markup even before they were able to hear from outside witnesses who voiced concerns, serious concerns about her judicial philosophy as it relates to core civil rights issues. Yeah, yeah. The entire civil rights community pretty much has voiced their objection to this nomination process, correct? That is correct. Um, we sent a letter to the Senate voicing our opposition to the confirmation of this particular nominee because she has a very troubling um, record on, on civil rights issues in particular related to voting, related to um, uh, Roe v. Wade, related to um, the Affordable Care Act. I mean, the list goes on and on. And um, one of the things that I'm sure your listeners know, she used to be a clerk for Justice Scalia and has has really touted her alliance with his judicial philosophy. Um, and it's deeply problematic. Like he was a part of the, the, the portion of the bench who struck down a key provision of the Voting Rights Act, Section 5. And it is the reason why we're seeing so many problems related to um, people's ability to exercise their right to vote to this very day. Um, as soon as that particular decision was handed down in 2013, Shelby v. Holder, we saw states like North Carolina, states like Texas immediately take legislative action and executive action to make it much more difficult for people to vote in a very targeted way, um, aimed particularly at Black people. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you mentioned John, the John Lewis Act. I mean, we're seeing voter suppression uh, at, at levels we've not seen in quite some time in this very election. Put that with the pandemic, LeJean, and people feel that from what we've seen from this administration and the Senate's lack of action, uh, that even in a pandemic, voting by mail itself may be suppressed, not just for African-Americans, but for everyone. People are very concerned about that and so feel pressure to risk their lives to go stand in line. Yeah, I mean, it's deeply troubling. It's it's problematic on so many different levels because you have an administration that has openly attacked the Postal Service, um, has done everything he could and can to um, cast doubt on the legitimacy of this particular election. But we have encouraged people to continue to vote, to go out in, in large numbers to, you know, um, if they have the ability to vote by mail, that they should definitely do so. I mean, the, the, there is... There is no evidence of the kinds of um, fraud that uh, that that the president is suggesting. In fact, um, it is it is pretty much non-existent. It, it is something that he is creating. Um, it is a problem in search of a. It is a solution in search of a problem. It is just. It is not a real issue, um, and that people people should really um, use. They should vote you know, and use this particular handling of the of the uh, pandemic and things that are going on right now in Washington that affect people's lives. They should use that as the inspiration to empower them to use their agency and really vote. I mean, we really, we need, we need people to really exercise their level of strength in this moment and hold people accountable for the things that they're doing to this country that it's really um, harming people in, in really devastating ways. The most immediate impact, well, depends on election. Amy Coney Barrett, if she's seated, could weigh in on the election. But what is on the schedule, on the books, is November 10th, correct? And that is the issue of the Affordable Care Act. Um, We can't really, I mean, we think of the Affordable Care Act in the context of our ongoing health care, but we can't really divorce the loss of the Affordable Care Act from the pandemic either, can we? No, I mean, in fact, that's a pivotal point that you made. Um, It's important to note that we are in the middle of a pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people have died. Um, And the the infections, the rate of infections are surging. Uh, Millions of people have been infected by this very deadly virus. And at the very moment that we're in the middle of the pandemic, you have um, Republican legislators and a president who are willing to take away people's health care in the middle of this pandemic, and they are doing it by trying to rush through this particular nominee who is poised to do it. She's already criticized Justice Roberts for his opinions in saving the ACA before. Um, they are, um, they are, are committed to taking away the Affordable Care Act. It's deeply problematic, and but President Trump has said, like he, he put forward a litmus test and said he would not nominate someone who would not be poised to take away health care. And so she meets that criteria and he has nominated her. So we know exactly what her philosophy is. Everything that she said in the hearing over the last week just confirmed what we already knew about 
about what she thinks and what her judicial philosophy is. There were just many things that she could have talked about that she didn't, including whether voter intimidation is illegal. I mean, it is absolutely illegal, but she wouldn't even admit that. Um, Among other things about, you know, a, a peaceful transition of power. Like there were just so many moments where she was asked questions and just refused to answer them. And part of that has to do with her philosophy that aligns itself with this radical right agenda. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 it is very scary. Do you, does the leadership conference have any thoughts or offered any opinions on any strategy? I mean, I'm not even sure if you all do this, so I may be asking an inappropriate question, but any strategy to prevent her nomination? Um, We have opposed her nomination and we are doing everything that we can to uh, make sure that we adhere to Justice Ginsburg legacy. And what that means is that we are, um, we are using every strategy in the toolbox in order to make sure that one, we, elevate what's at stake with her nomination and confirmation, um, that we're telling everyone about the problematic nature of this particular candidate. Um, we're, we're working not only in the, um, with respect to having contact and you know, sending letters and things of that nature, but we're also galvanizing our network to, to weigh in on this, on this particular issue that's, that's pretty critical and could affect us for years to come. And like, let's not forget that we are in the middle of an election. We have another nominee um, that was nominated by President Obama, Merrick Garland in 2016. And this particular Senate, um, uh, Senator McConnell refused to even meet with him um, or, or grant him any movement at all on the Senate floor, basically saying their posture was, we can't confirm a judicial uh, nominee to the Supreme Court in an election year. We are in the election. There are millions of people who have voted. And despite making these assurances and and these pronouncements about what should and should not happen in an election year, they are completely going back on their word and moving forward with a nominee who has um, a radical agenda. And her record proves it, her her, uh, statements prove it, like the questions that she was asked, her inability to just answer basic questions. And she's applying for a job. Like who gets a job if they, and not answering questions, you know, basic questions about whether voter suppression is, yeah, is illegal. Voter, voter intimidation is legal, illegal. Right, it just right. doesn't happen. I, let me, I didn't ask that question the right way, but that's a profound and important answer to the question I asked the wrong way. People need to hear that. Let me put it another way. Have you a, a position or a philosophy or a strategy on how senators who oppose, and that's Democrats, obviously, who oppose a nomination can actually prevent it? Is there a way procedurally that you know of that this could be stopped or held up somehow? Somehow. I can tell you that we've been in close contact with a number of senators who have real concerns about this nominee, and they are discussing all all maneuvers that are are within their their purview to use in order to 
um, prevent this particular nominee from being confirmed. So um, in terms of specific strategies, I, you know, I know that they're thinking of a number of different strategies um, and it's unclear like exactly what they're going to do at this moment, but I know that they are thinking very hard about what they can do at this moment. So, of course, the leadership conference is nonpartisan. We are nonpartisan. Yes. So let me try to say this as artfully as possible. You have simply encouraged people to vote. Yes. So let me say this. This is me talking, not LaShawn, not the leadership conference. Let me just give you some basic information that we won't put them in trouble for any endorsement. But let me just say this. There's Senate race in Georgia and Arizona. If the candidates who are not Republican win in those races, that is, if you vote, there is a sliver of a possibility, if this thing can get delayed, that those two senators, um, because they're filling in other terms, would take their seats immediately after November 3rd, which then changes the numbers in the Senate, and that might actually help. I hope I said that in the most nonpartisan fashion that I could, LaShawn. You did, you did say it in the in a nonpartisan way. So thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, I appreciate you you saying that because I'm not always good at that. Folks at Mark, you can say that get me in trouble. But no, that's that's good. So that's why LaShawn is saying, y'all, we have to vote. No matter what we have to vote, we have to vote. And um um, you know, LaShawn, I've been dealing with, as you know, there's a lot of disinformation. Right. Uh, of, you know, uh, promoting suppression in the black community. So, oh, what difference does a vote make? Well, here it is. This is the difference it makes when you can have elected officials and presidents, but there's still courts. Mm-hmm. What What are your thoughts to LaShawn? There seems to be, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you watched the debate between Pence and Harris. And, and since then, um, there's been this fake outrage over what is falsely referred to as court packing, mm-hmm. but it's really the debate about expanding the Supreme Court. How can people be outraged about a legitimate discussion about expanding or contracting the court, which is constitutional, and yet this Republican Senate has really been the body that has packed the court, hasn't it? We're talking about over 200 justices and what, not a single one of them looks like you or me? That's right. That is right. I mean, it it has been a steady march. It has been a priority for them. They have literally filled almost every vacancy that there is, and they plan to do that before the end of the year to give the next president, like, no opportunity to really... um, appoint or nominate uh, judges that have uh, a philosophy that I think is is more in keeping with the American, with the foundation of our, our country, the democracy that we have right now. So um, it is true that there is this conversation about packing the court, but it is really, um, I think, as you rightly point out, it is a distraction. It is It, it distracts from what they have been doing for the past four years. Um, And it is true also that in terms of diversity with respect to the number, the types of judges that they have appointed 
a number of them have had have been very radical, um, have had very disturbing um, histories with respect to issues of race, with expect, respect to issues of gender. They have not appointed a diverse bench in terms of women or people of color. Just it's pretty non-existent, you know, a few exceptions here and there. But, you know, they just uh, it is shameful. It's certainly these the bench that they're filling um, is not uh, demonstrative of the American people, what America looks like. It's not that at all. It's generally white men, period, full stop. And and to add to that, folks, those you don't know, there's a National Bar Association of African-American lawyers because for years the American Bar Association Association practiced segregation. That's right. Times in history, LaShawn, have we seen even the American Bar Association, the white Bar Association, um, reject and mark as unqualified, without even getting into ideology, professionally unqualified so many judges? That's what they've been saying. Mm -hmm. I don't know when we've seen them do that in this volume. And again, folks, I'm not even talking about ideology right now. We're talking about the American Bar Association. This person, they're saying this person, this nominee does not even have the requisite professional skills to be a federal judge. That's a big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. And this particular um, Republican-led Senate confirms them anyway. It is deeply problematic. It is not... it is uh, destructive to our democracy. I think people need to be concerned because I think we're at a crisis moment right now in terms of the direction of this country, which just really underscores the, the need for people to get out and vote. Like we have got to hold people accountable for the decisions that they're making and they're not making decisions in the best interest of the people and particularly not in the best interest of people of color. I don't want to upset you, but I have to share something with you. I interviewed uh, Jonathan Alter not too long ago who has written the latest biography of Jimmy Carter. Um, In four years, Jimmy Carter appointed eight African-American appellate judges. Can you believe that? In four years. And where we, (laughs) I mean, there's nothing like that going on. To your point, none of this reflects America. I mean, this is more like, 1950 mm-hmm. and 2020, isn't it? I mean, that's exactly right. And, you know, when you think about the power that these positions hold and their ability to pronounce um, to pronounce rulings that will affect people's lives, their everyday lives, um, it is deeply problematic, right? Because some of these folks have no connection to how people live, you know? And, um, you know, when you when you have someone in front of the Supreme Court, I mean, in front of the, the um, that's vying for the Supreme Court position that is in front of, of um, the Senate who, you know, can't acknowledge the issues related to race um, and gender or, even climate change and say that, you know, the fact that climate change is, or that she tries to say that, that climate change is controversial. Like these people, the decisions that they render and hand down have real world consequences. And I think the most important one that we're facing even, well, it's not the most important one, but it's a significant one because we're in the middle of a pandemic. I think healthcare is on everybody's mind. 
to be able to take away health care, particularly for those people who are disproportionately African-American, black and brown people who are disproportionately affected by COVID-19 to take away health care, access to health care in the middle of a pandemic when people are dying, when they the disproportionate number of people who have died have been people of color. I mean, I, I think um, I think that that's it's deeply troubling. You know, I, I you know, it's it's yeah. Um, it's prob- it's problematic. It's, it's it's deeply problematic, and I think it just um, it just means that that we just we have to be more vigilant about um, about voting um, and about this the misinformation and disinformation that you're talking about. And honestly, I mean, I I think we we generally talk about disinformation and misinformation offline, but we don't talk about it as much online. And I think that is a important data point that bears some level of exploration, right? I mean, it, it is, I think, I think everyone knows at this point that in 2016, African-Americans were targeted on the Facebook platform. And um, while they've taken a number of steps to address some of the issues that were present at that time in terms of ads that were targeting African-Americans um, and the like, I think we, there's still work for them to do for sure. And I think that it's important for people to be discerning about what they see on social media platforms, either by Twitter or Facebook, you know, because everything that you see on these social media networks, not necessarily true. Um, and, and know that there are people that are out there to manipulate those types of forums in order to uh, discourage people from voting or suppress participation. And so I just think, it just underscores as we as we rely more and more on social media for our news and our information that we just have to be really, really careful about what we're seeing, what we're taking in and what we consider to be facts that we need to um, act on. Absolutely. I want to lift up one passage from LaShawn's latest published at thehill.com. McConnell, very powerful words. McConnell has subverted every national priority, every urgent need to leave as his legacy a federal judiciary that is dominated by judges who will shift the court further away from equal justice. The Senate majority's agenda is morally indefensible. Plus, very strong words, LaShawn, and very profound words. We know that the majority of the American public polled oppose the ramming through of this nomination. Before we go, let's just talk about women too. We, we, the Affordable Care Act pandemic overlap. Affordable Care Act, pandemic, clearly overlap, but the Affordable Care Act and Roe also overlap. And I thought Senator Harris was, was profound the other day too, because she tied the two together. So when we talk about women's health and you put the Affordable Care Act and Roe in jeopardy, it's no longer just, you know, about their cause celebrate reproductive health, which shouldn't be a cause celebrate, but all women's health, access to all the, the health needs that, that women have. And, and you all, you know, I was talking to another guest the other day, men are stupid. We're not <laughs> as deliberate about our health. And that's why you have to have campaigns to get men to go to the doctor. Let's face it. But women, you know, you all usually give your health a little bit more attention. 
and that's an existential threat to the well-being. If this is dissolved, if both the ACA and Roe are gutted and, and they're done away with, that's an existential threat to a gender that comprises more than half of the country. And that is absolutely true. And, um, you know, whenever we think about Roe, uh, the Republicans and the conservatives have been gunning for Roe for a very long time. Pardon the point. But, you know, they've been trying to overthrow Roe for a very long time. And, you know, our position is that women should be in charge of their own. They should be able to make decisions about their own body. A man shouldn't tell a woman what they need to do with their body. (laughs) I mean, that is a very personal choice. And um, it's offensive that there is there's this movement, you know, on the on the right to undermine Roe and affect people's, you know, women's right to choose, you know, their own, you know, and be in charge of their own reproductive health care. So it is deeply problematic. This particular, you know, um, avenue and strategy that the Republicans are pursuing at the moment by ramming uh, Judge Barrett through is it's in direct opposition of what the public believes. The public has been very, very vocal in terms of where they stand on this particular process. 57% of them basically believe that the next president who's elected in November should make the decision about who sits on the Supreme Court and occupies Justice Ginsburg's seat. And despite even, and those numbers are growing and they they believe that no nominee should be appointed uh, until after the election. Um, but this particular it is the last grasp of power that that um, that these um, that some of these senators are 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 um, trying to to pursue at this point. It's it's deeply problematic, and I, I it's enraged a number of people, myself included, and a number of organizations within our network, which consists of over two hundred and twenty national organizations. Um, it expands from labor to to women's rights groups and um, uh, litigating groups like uh, the ACLU and um, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the Lawyers Committee, all of whom are doing yeoman's work. And I, I have to say that none of what we've been able to accomplish in terms of raising the stakes would be possible without our coalition and our coalition support. There are amazing organizations that are part of the leadership conference and we're doing whatever we're doing what we can in order to make sure that people are aware of the stakes here and um, that people know what Justice Barrett's record is um, and that they hold their elected their elected um, senators and accountable for the decisions that they make and for for moving moving this forward. I mean the the a markup is scheduled for next week. Um, and a floor vote is expected at the the end of October. And I mean, I, I would be remiss if I did not say that in trying to ram these these um, this particular nominee through um, Chairman Graham, who's also up in, in South Carolina um, for election this year. He has broken his own rules with respect to the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee to move this nominee forward. And um it's, it's deeply problematic. Uh, and I, I know that there are a number of folks on the other side of the aisle that have taken notice. And let me just say there are at least um, 
two Republicans who believe, who've openly said, uh, Collins and Murkowski, Senators Collins and Murkowski, who basically said, and have sided with the public, basically saying, we should not move forward with a nomination until after the election. And so they have stood their ground and um, we'll, we'll see what ultimately happens, but hopefully people will, will, will um, understand that. Um, and I, I think most, most Americans agree that this should not be the priority when you have so many people that are dying and, and, and people who are being infected by this deadly virus. And, you know, we're in a, a crisis with respect to police accountability like that. Why hasn't that issue passed? Um, and yeah. it, it just, it just seems like a no brainer, you know? Yeah. Um, has the leadership conference or will the leadership conference take a position on expand if once she, if she sees mm-hmm. on expanding the court, will you all do that? Have you already done that or been thinking about that? No, I mean, we, we have, we've thought about a number of different options, honestly. And I think from our perspective, we are dealing with the fight in front of us. Um, And, you know, I know that there's lots of speculation about what should be done with respect to the courts and all this. Look, we have right now a nominee that's right in front of us that we're trying to um, make sure does not get on the court. So in terms of like what we do when she gets on the course or, or whatever, like we, we're just not, we're, we're really at a point where we're just trying to deal with the issues that are in front of us. Um, and we will evaluate all, you know, all the options that, that are before us, but, you know, at this moment in time, our focus really is on elevating what's at stake and, trying to make sure that the American people are first in this calculation of what the Senate does and whether or not they should move this person. And, um, and for our, and from our position and our standpoint, they should not move her. She is not qualified to, to occupy this particular position, given her jurisprudence. Like she just is not like you, you, why would, why on earth would we confirm someone who upholds segregation in an employment context where you assign um, an employee to a black neighborhood because they're black and a white neighborhood if they're white. I mean, that's just, it, it's beyond the pale at this moment that we're actually discussing those kinds of, of issues and wrestling with that, with this nominee who will be sitting on the highest court in the land. So, And one who has also, well, who said when Scalia passed away, that there should not be a successor to Scalia inconsistent with Scalia's ideology. But yet she is the total opposite of Ruth Bader uh, uh, Ginsburg's ideology. Uh, even though, you know, they make these comments, oh, she was just a great woman. It's, it's really hypocritical. I don't appreciate it. They, oh, well, she was such a great woman. Well, she's such a great woman. Why are you trying to undo her legacy? That's you know, right. That, that does <laughs> And it's so interesting that there's just so much inconsistency. Um, and and um, Justice Barrett is on record saying precisely what you said uh, about who should be taking uh, Justice Scalia's seat. And she clearly, her her jurisprudence stands in direct contravention of, of Justice Ginsburg's jurisprudence. And she is looking to undo the, the very things that Justice Ginsburg fought her entire life to defend, you know, in terms of women, in terms of civil rights, in terms of LGBTQ 
individuals. Like it's it labor. Like she sided with 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 people. You know, people over over the powerful, over business. You know, she she her jurisprudence was out about doing the right thing and rendering justice, particularly for those who generally don't have it in this country, who are marginalized. Like she and understood what that life was like for a person in this country. And so, I mean, we, we lost, we lost a great warrior with Justice Ginsburg and um, to replace her with, with, with Judge Barrett is an absolute, is absolutely offensive. Is leadership conference recommending it's still worthwhile for the public and even those listening to us today to contact their senators to get on record. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Do that and vote. <laughs> like, I, it is like, I think they work in tandem. You do both. We, we need people to, to do both because something in this country has got to change. It's, um, as I said, and I think as you said as well, we're we're in a, a crisis moment. And to confirm someone who has a predetermined outcome uh, with an issue that comes before her really is an affront to the to the judiciary, and it challenges the you know the very legitimacy of the institution. And I think we have to stand against that. We can't let that happen. So, Lashawn Warren, folks of Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights which is a legacy organization of legacy organizations. Uh, it's the big one. And um, they, for years, have defended your rights and mine, and they're still doing it. Call your senators and vote, LaShawn shares with us. And check out her piece at thehill.com. Very profound and very passionate. Thank you, LaShawn, for joining us here on Make It Plain. Thank you for having me. All right. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.